When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast, but this is not just any one episode. This is the three-year anniversary of the show. Yeah, woo! I'm very excited about this for many reasons. One being that you, the listener, are here with me right now in this digital room, so to speak. This podcast has enabled me to speak to some of my heroes, some of my peers. It's just a really, really fun opportunity. And I can't believe we're at three years. That is like 150 some odd episodes. Like I just, I just feel so grateful to you, the listener, for enabling me to do this and showing that you care and you're engaged in this show. I love it. And thank you so much for the support. In case you haven't noticed, it's it's a little refresh. There's a new logo. That logo is courtesy of Empty Design. You can visit them at emptydesign.net. They do amazing work. My friends Dave and Adam, both of them who I've known for so many years, I can't even count. And they have done so many pieces of art for me. And they just, they're, they're killing it. They have they are reaching their creative apex as far as I'm concerned. Where they're just they're just locked in and focused. So if you need anything visual created, contact them. They are your men, and they did the design. I've honed in on this logo. This is it. This is what we're working with. And thank you very much for all the people who contributed past artwork, like Adam Vass and Chris Hansen. Thank you guys. I appreciate that. This is where we're at now. If you did not recognize the music at the top of the show, for those of you regular listeners, change it up a little bit. I contacted another friend of the show, Mr. Ben Sharp, from a project slash band called Cloud Kicker, and he wrote and contributed two new pieces specifically for the show. Like, that's awesome. I love that people like this show, like me as a person, and want to help this thing grow and get out there. So many, many thanks to Ben for contributing these two original pieces. You'll hear one at the very end of the show. And it's just, it's great. It kind of sets the tone because I, I really want to set the tone when you're, you're joining this podcast. Once you hear that music click on, you're like, all right, let's hang out for an hour. I'm locked in. Thank you to everybody who also donated this past month in April because that was our donation drive. And basically for you giving the show money enabled me 
to do these things. Because, you know, I hate asking for stuff for free because people are busy, people are professionals, and I want to get them some stuff. It was not just stuff, just money <laughs> to basically say thank you so much. And uh, yeah, so you, you made the new logo happen. You made the music happen. Thank you so much. I haven't even talked about the guest. This is ridiculous, right? The guest this week is Mr. Nick Steinhardt. He is the guitarist from Touche Amore. And not only is he the guitarist, he is the main visual brain behind that and many other compelling pieces of independent art that are out there with bands. Most of you know and are familiar with the band called Deaf Heaven. He did that artwork, which basically caught the world by storm. When I say world, you know, not like major pop culture, but you know, one may argue that that definitely did creep up there. But uh, yeah, Nick is a very good friend, and I went to his Silver Lake apartment one morning, and we discussed over an amazing cup of coffee, his life, and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to bring that to you in a minute. I don't have any business stuff. All I want to do is focus on the fact this is the three-year anniversary. This is the 156th episode. I've been doing this for 156 weeks. I've been doing this for almost as long as my child has been alive, which is unbelievable. He is now four years old, and this show is three. So I feel like as he grows older, the show grows older, gets better. He gets better as a human being, learns more about the world, understands what's right and what's wrong. It's very uh, analogous. I, I just didn't think that I would ever really compare my son to a podcast because clearly one is more important than the other. I digress. So I also want to thank so many people have reached out recently via email to the show, 100 words podcast at gmail.com and i've just been able to create some some new friendships and i appreciate those of you who are highly engaged in this show or even just want to say hello but i've received some really really thoughtful emails and discourse about the show the guests the topics we cover so it's great some more exciting things are in the future can't tip my hat quite yet and i promise one of these build-ups will actually lead to something because i've done this before i've built something up and then it kind of goes away but i promise this one will will yield something. So anyways, Nick Steinhardt invited me over to his place. We discussed his life and I, you know, I've been, I've been talking for too long. Here is Nick. Here's our discussion. And I will talk to you after the conversation is over. people it's like i feel like i've known for a long time but i have no idea where we first met like i can't i, I couldn't pinpoint it totally yeah. like it i mean it had to have been a show but a, what show at what point i mean it was just one of those things where it was like you know because obviously i had known jeremy for so long it was like by extension i felt like i knew each member of touche like mm. intimately even though i'd be like well why no i don't i don't actually know them sure sure is it weird where it's just like you you meet these people and you have these connections throughout your life where you're just like I don't like, I don't actually know where I met you. Like, especially in the context of like the music industry and business and whatever, like I need, um, I need contacts clues, like, uh, ge geographic context clues oh, okay. because when you're traveling all over the country or mm -hmm. whatever, um, you might see someone you met in Montreal, but like in Florida for some reason, right. You're like, and I don't know. They're like, hey, I'm, and, and I have this mental, like, uh, 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 like, give me a clue. Right. Right. Montreal. Oh yeah. Like, and then I could tell them everything about when we first shook hands. Right, right. But I need that click. Right. In order yeah. in order to put, like you said, you need to put it in context. Yeah. But yeah, in LA and around LA, I would have no hope. Yeah. It just, it's just, it's one big, like, You just pastiche. exist in my life. Right, yeah. yeah. You just, you came into it. Because, I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, like, Touche is your first, quote unquote, like, 
successful band, like a band that you like actively toured with, correct? Or yeah, I, you- I had never toured before. Okay. Um, I played a lot locally from the age of 13 on, mm-hmm. um, but never really traveled with the bands. Okay. Um, and you were, you were born and raised here in LA, right? I was born in Northridge. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so suburbs, right. The yeah. suburbs. Um, and what'd your parents do as you were growing up? Uh, my mom was a kindergarten teacher. My okay. dad is a worker's comp attorney. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's one of the good people. <laughs> he's, one <laughs> he, of the, he's one of the good lawyers. He works for the insurance company's side. Okay. Um, but he is a very straight up, very honest guy. That's good. Yeah. That's he good. loves practicing law and That's good. doing what he can with it. Sure. Yeah. Usually the connection of people being a lawyer, like, is, is your father strict from that perspective? Like... He's, um, my mom was stricter than he was growing up, but she had that. I'm a kindergarten teacher. I need to insulate my child from any harm. Oh, Um, I see. My brother was the athletic one. So he would always be breaking bones and doing bad stuff. And I was the kid that painted and took guitar lessons and stayed inside. Sure. Partially because of her warnings. Uh Ah, I see. Her caution. Was your, is your, do you have an older brother? Yeah, he's four and a half years older. Okay. So she's like. Your older brother broke all these bones. This is what will happen to you if you do this. Yeah, yeah. constant warnings, so, which scared me. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to do indoor activities because that <laughs> sounds awful. Right. Um, but my dad wasn't strict. He was more just like the sense of logic. Like okay. Everything has to be very um, – everything has to make a lot of sense. Very practical? Very much so. Okay. Yeah, but super cool. Not, not really that strict. Okay, that's cool. Um, yeah, so the, your, your, your mother played the, the quote-unquote disciplinarian role, if, as it were. Yeah, I'd say more or less. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, it sounds like a very sort of idyllic childhood as far as like, you know, like suburban home, like sort of, you know. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your brother, like you said, he, since he was four and a half years older than you, like, did you hang out with him at school and stuff like no, that? Or we, was it like. We had were, always, um, we were always like one step apart. When I started elementary school, he had just left. Right. Um, but we didn't really get along until I was 13 or so. Oh, okay. Yeah. You guys just fought like brothers fight. We fought and had completely different interests, so kind of like no use for each other in a weird way. <laughs> right. You but were now, in separate orbits. Yeah, but now, now we're good friends. <laughs> right. Yeah. You've mentioned in like previous discussions and interviews that your, your dad has helped like shape your musical taste. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so what was, what was he putting in your head when you were obviously younger that started to kind of, you know, like, oh, wow, like music is an interesting thing? Um, I think it was just that he was playing it all the time. I remember... Like he would always be playing like Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, the birds, mm-hmm. like that was all of his stuff. Sure. And um, he had an acoustic guitar that he used to play, I guess a long time ago. And I remember when he would get home from work, I would like sit on his bed because that was like the time I could use his guitar and just bang around on it. Yeah. And then um, he took me to see Melissa Etheridge oh, when yeah. I was five, I think. Okay. And then I decided I wanted to play guitar. At that moment. Yeah. Wow. And I, I got a guitar when I was six. I mean, I, I'm sure it's difficult to pinpoint like what it actually was that spoke to you. Uh-huh. But like what was, you know, was it just like the the fact that she could like, you know, perform it well? Like what was, what was I don't going- really remember. I just yeah. remember that that was, that was awesome. a guitar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I need one of my own. Yeah. That's amazing. And what your, did your brother go with you to, to that or was it just you no, and No, it was dad? just me and my dad. That's awesome. Um, my brother did start taking guitar lessons, but a few years later. Okay. Was your dad's intention of taking you to that show to be like, or that concert? Mm-hmm. I, I, cause it, that yeah, that's called like, a concert. Yeah. It was like the Hollywood Bowl, I was presume, the, or something like that. I think it was the Greek. Okay, the Greek. Yeah. Was it one of those things he was really trying to be like, Hey, like this, you know, this is what a live musical event is like. This is like my, my, you know, your, your first, your first concert, so to speak. I think the first concert was a big deal, but I don't think he really had any intention with it. It was just, I'm going to 
you know, he would always take me and my brother to do stuff that we were interested in. Right, um, right. No, I'm pretty much no matter what it was. Right. It's very nurturing in that way. That's awesome. Yeah. And this just occurred to me because being in Northridge, you're, because how old are you? Uh, 27. 27. Okay. So that was, I mean, around the time of the Northridge earthquake. Mm-hmm. Was that, but you were born? Had you exist? Like you, I existed. I okay. was born in 87. Right, right. And, cause, and that was in 93? 94. 94. Yeah. I was in first grade. Um, we had crazy damage to our house. We had to move out for a little while. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. There's cracks through the whole ceiling. The backyard was completely turned up. The pool uh-huh. was um, in disarray. Where were you at the time when that was like, what happened? I was at home. Okay. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. So many people like. It just felt like someone was knocking down the house with a wrecking ball. <laughs> it was really, really crazy. It's so gnarly when you have those like those specific moments where it's like, you know, nationally speaking, you could probably reference the Northridge earthquake and people would be like, oh, like I, I remember that. Like I remember there's, seeing that on the news. There's two, um, there's two ways worldwide that I'm able to tell people where I'm from, which is it's a suburb. People shouldn't know it, but yeah. Um, it's where ET was filmed, right? Um, which the the bike chase near the end of the movie when they're riding their bikes down the dirt hill, right, is where I live. Maybe a year before they built our neighborhood. Wow! Um, and then the Northridge earthquake. So, like, picture those two things, and yeah, that's my childhood. And then people would be like, "Oh, I see what you're saying." Yeah. <laughs> and so then, so then, as you as you started to get your guitar and obviously become more acclimated to that, and like you said, you were just immediately like an indoor kid, where you were like, mm-hmm. you know, encouraged to you know, draw, paint, be artistic and stuff like that. Um, was it one of those things that you also by default, cause usually the connotation is that that person is very emotional and in touch with their emotions and how to express themselves. Did you feel like that either like came naturally to you or was that like a learned trait, you know, being emotional? Yeah. I mean, as far as um, like, or actually I should phrase it better, uh, sensitive. Cause like, you know, usually yeah, I was, I was definitely a sensitive kid. Okay. I always try and trace things, things back to the way you're raised. And I think that was a little bit more of on my mom's side. Not that my dad isn't sensitive, um, right. but my mom is definitely that nurturing, caring, sensitive. She was a kindergarten teacher. She yeah. Was, it's like what, what your job is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I probably get that sense from her quite a bit. Got it. And so what did you, uh, what were you drawn to immediately as far as like, you know, uh, like painting and like, obviously the, the artistic, uh, medium from that perspective? Like what did you start to dive into? Um, really anything. I started just doodling and drawing at home, mm-hmm. like Ninja Turtles and cartoons and things that I was into. Did you ever, did you ever buy those like how to cartoon books? Like I how had, to draw? Okay. I had so much stuff. Okay. It was like, it <laughs> I consumed just, me. I always remember those, those like, cause every, I think every kid goes through that like six month period where it's like, you know, they're super into like Garfield or something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, dude, I think I can draw that. And then you realize like that takes a lot of talent. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> after you've gone through like two of those books, but I just, you just, just consume it all. I just sort of went, I just sort of went for it. I didn't really have the like instructional books. I right. would just start like looking at one of my Ninja Turtles books and start drawing one of the characters. And my mom was like, Oh, maybe he's really good at this. Right. So I took classes at this place called Kids Art. There's a chain, like there's tons around LA. Okay. Um, but this one was in Northridge and uh, I'd go every Saturday morning for an hour and their courses went from like, you know, drawing to watercolor to acrylic to oil paint. And I pretty much did that till from same age. I started playing guitar like around five till about 13. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 And you loved every second of it? Yeah. yeah. And um, during the summers they had um, like different summer courses that you go to during the week. So mm-hmm. that was like my summer camp instead of being the you know, baseball summer right, camp right. or whatever, I would do a cartooning workshop and a portraiture workshop and sculpture. <laughs> yeah. 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 You yeah. do art camp. Right. Yeah. And, but I would do multiple sessions of them. So they'd run out of activities. 
because they had, you know, a course for the week and I'd sure. take the sculpture one four times. And then it was, <laughs> you were like, where, well, what else is there? That's like, all I wanted to do. We literally don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> you've already tapped us out. So then uh, I presume, obviously, once you started to, you know, kind of matriculate the, to high school that, um, you know, like where, where did kind of independent music start to infiltrate you as far as like being aware of like, oh, there's stuff that's obviously like not on the radio that. Oh, um, it might have been. It was probably in middle school, actually. Yeah. Um, because I was still, you know, just listening to K-Rock and sure. whatever was on the radio and whatever my brother would feed me. Uh-huh. And um, was your brother into any sort of that stuff? Like, did, did you was he kind of your gatekeeper as far as like handing stuff down to. He had a girlfriend that that did a little bit. Oh, OK. But it was kind of around the same time I was like interested in skateboarding but never good at it sure so i got like a drive-through records comp okay like a really early one at at the skate shop that had like the first rx bandits record on it and newfound glory nothing gold can stay absolutely um and then his girlfriend was also into that stuff Mm -hmm. i think they were like 15 or 16 or something right and um she showed me like bands like mill and colin and stuff and then i was totally down right yeah yeah you started to dive into that world Mm -hmm. Did you start to go to shows like in high school or is that more like, I mean, do we want to define the, the difference between shows and concerts? <laughs> well, that's true. Cause I, I, I guess, yeah, a fairer question is like, obviously, cause I know like, you know, AFI is one of your favorite bands mm-hmm. of all time. Um, and so like, you know, when, when were you starting to able to go to like those maybe larger scale concerts, but were mm. artists that you kind of discovered, you know, probably earlier, earlier on. I'm trying okay. to think of like the chronology. Mm. Uh, Melissa Etheridge was my first. Right. Somewhere in there was Weird Al at the Fonda. Amazing. So that was someone I discovered on my own. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. And yeah. Went to see. <laughs> sure. Um, and uh, my guitar teacher was in a band, and like we went to go see him at the Whiskey a couple times. Oh, nice. Kiss, I got into through my guitar teacher. Okay. Um, but I think like if you're talking more like local sure, shows sure. or smaller ones, um, some of the earlier ones I could remember are probably like I saw that band Rufio at a. Um, like a preschool in La Cunata right. okay. um, with my brother sure. when I was like in fifth or sixth grade. Okay. Um, they had a three song CDR demo. Right. Right. Um, I saw homegrown and RX bandits. Okay. At the Roxy. Right. I mean, obviously you were able to differentiate between, you know, concerts and shows like we were talking mm-hmm. about, like, but were you immediately drawn to like the, this is really cool. Like the, the sort of, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah like the, the, the more intimate vibe as it were. Mm-hmm. It felt cooler. Like it, not that it felt like somewhere I shouldn't be when I was younger, but right. it was kind of like, wow, this is cool that I'm able to, like my dad's letting me come here on a school night. Or right, something. right. Yeah. You're yeah. Like, I can't believe I'm here right yeah. now. You know, obviously like once you, uh, did, were, did, did you start to have the desire to, you know, start a band in high school? Like was, was that always kind mm-hmm. of present? Um, I started my first band in seventh grade. Okay. And to what, what was the name of it? Cause it's um, probably, probably it called, pretty good. It was called Tiptoe Charlie's. Okay. What were you, what were you, attempting, for you. <laughs> what were you attempting to sound like? We were a band for, from like seventh grade until senior year of high school. Oh, wow. You guys were committed. Yeah. 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 Um, one lineup change, one drummer change. Dude, um, yeah, that's really hard in that. Yeah, I know. That ecosystem. Um, I'd say early on, we wanted to sound like Mill and Colin or AFI, or I think there was a ska song thrown in there. Sure. Um, and then sort of wanted to be thrice Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Hope's yeah. fall, but not that heavy. Sure. Sure. Kind of thing. So you, you guys, you guys change as your musical tastes yeah. change. Yeah. 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 And as, I'm sure you can imagine at that age, it's kind of right. It's always right. Evolving. Everything's put. Yeah. It, it, you have, I always, I always equate it to where it's like, especially when you're recording like your, you know, your first demo or something, you yeah, always yeah. have these like, 
you have the influences in your head where mm-hmm. you're like, oh man, we want to sound like, you know, Snapcase, whatever, like uh-huh. all these bands. And then it comes out just like this very like hodgepodge of everything you're listening yeah. to, even though it probably doesn't sound anything like what you would cite your influences to. Sure, do. sure. You probably saw us or were walking right. out of the Cobalt when Stricken was playing and saw or heard us. So, right, I right. may have met you back then. Right. Yeah. And that's that, that's the one thing too, where it's like people like yourself and myself who have been involved in this thing for way too long. Mm-hmm. It's like, we've probably obviously been in the same rooms. We just didn't meet each other at that, exactly. at that particular juncture. Yeah. So Cobalt was like your, your local go-to. Oh yeah. It was like every week, every weekend. Right. Just yeah. because I was like, what, like 15 minutes away from you? Yeah. It's really close. Um, easy to set up our own shows. I would mm-hmm. just call and book the whole night and get all our friends bands to play. And it was super fun. Right. You see, you also strike me, and this is something that I'm observing for you now, but kind of, I mean, for lack of a better term, like you're the business guy of of Touche in the Mm -hmm. sense of like, you know, I mean, Jeremy's obviously, you know, knows a lot of people and networks and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, but you definitely are the, I guess for lack of a better term, like the bedrock where it's like, you can handle a lot of, you know, just the business stuff. Mm -hmm. And you seem driven from the that logistics. Pers- yeah, yeah. And you seem driven from that perspective. Were you always kind of the default businessman of, yeah. of, okay. Yeah. I was always trying to brainstorm some way to keep things going. Really? Yeah. Probably having terrible ideas too. Like, I mean, initially, like when you were, or, or do you, or, I'm, I'm standing by that. I did a pretty good job in high school. <laughs> I love this. Um, okay. Especially for a high school band and witnessing what younger local bands are like now that grew up like purely internet age. Right, 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 um, right. Like we did things. Well, it's funny because my dad is this very old school logistic, whatever guy. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the era that um, the bank sent you back your checks every month. Do you remember this? Because you're a little bit older than me. Apparently that's a thing. The bank sent your checks back. Like after you deposited them, they sent them back to you for your records. Okay. So I, my dad was going through and shredding old stuff and found the check for our first pin order. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. 
like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high-yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. That was from that company, One Inch Round. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's... And that $30 basically funded everything we did plus shows for like five years. Because that of the... seed money of $10 each. <laughs> right. Um, so that you were basically able to turn that over. Into... Yeah, but we got crafty. It was like, you know, we were like, okay, if we sell all of these, we'll make a hundred bucks. And then maybe we could order t-shirts or mm-hmm. afford the slimline jewel cases at Office Max so that we right. can burn our demo. Right. Um, there was one point where... Um, we didn't have enough money to make booklets. So okay. I figured out how to make an enhanced CD that had like a whole interface when you put the demo in the computer that had yeah, like yeah, yeah. live the videos CD-ROM, and sure, yeah. and all sorts of stuff. Right. But it was like, I can do that and we can sell them for three bucks instead of two bucks. Right. Because it's got all this extra stuff on it. Right. So it's just always ideas like that. That's cool. I mean, I, I, I admire that because that was definitely, that was the role I played at every band mm-hmm. that I played in too. And like, it was Sometimes it's like a lot of people can can look at that sort of whatever craftiness and you know mm-hmm. ingenuity as being like um, oh like you know you're just trying to what like you're putting a business plan before the band or whatever but like mm-hmm. clearly that was never like the bands that we played in like from our our initial stage never had any context of like making money off this thing it was just no a matter it was just of keeping like, it going exactly yeah. <laughs> it was just it was the the idea of like oh well this will lead us to hopefully the next step. As opposed to like, oh, like this is what's going to make us thousands of dollars. We we never thought of it as like a, like this could be our career. I right. never thought about that until like my band now. Right. Yeah. Right. It was always like, that doesn't sound realistic to make it in a band. So I'm going to go to art school. <laughs> I, I, I mean, honestly. Which also seems also some semi-unrealistic. Right. But. <laughs> well, no, but I think that's a really important point. Cause I think a lot of, I, I was always the sa- of the same mentality where it's like, I, the, the, the music that I was making with my friends was like, yeah, these were a way to like collect experiences and do cool stuff. Mm -hmm. But I was never under the sort of illusions of grandeur of like, oh yeah, like this is going to be the thing. Mm -hmm. Like, because it's like that. Yeah. It just seemed like such a far off. And and when you have that mentality, I feel like the fall back down is really hard to very hard. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So then as, as the, the band was obviously existing, playing local shows and stuff like that. Um, was it one of those things where it's like you, you had that burning desire to be like, God, I like, I, I want a tour, but we just don't have the ability to, or I did want to, I think I was a little bit too young for my parents to back that. Trust that. Sure. And, um, and we all, you know, towards the end of high school, we all had, you know, 
other ambitions. Yeah. Like, uh, we had all been accepted to schools and stuff and it was just going to stay a fun project. Right. Right. Did you, uh, did you apply yourself in school? Like, were you a good student? You strike me as a person who would find the right level of grades that Uh you would maintain without bumming your parents out. Like my GPA was good. I had like a 3.8 something. That's really good. Um, and then I realized as soon as I went to art school, wow, I could have gotten a 2.0 and actually had fun this whole time and it wouldn't have mattered. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> did you, uh, like, what sort of uh, social group did you fit in as far as, like, high school is concerned? Were you definitely, you know, one of the, uh, you seem like a p- the type of person that would be able to get along with different people, but not necessarily, like, being like, oh, I'm super good friends with, like, you know, the proverbial jocks or whatever. Like, I didn't hang out with those people much. Yeah. I knew from middle school, I knew the group that became the jock cheerleader, popular, right. like good looking kids. Right. Um, but then I wasn't like punk enough to hang out with the actual punk guys that dyed their hair. Right. And had like jackets with the addicts logo painted on the back. Right. 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 Um, but then I wasn't like pop punk enough to hang out with the pop punk kids, which by the high school I went to, those kind of were the jock popular kids in a weird way. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was definitely a, a, a weird balance of power from that perspective. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I knew all those people, but, um, I pretty much just hung out with, uh, Dewey, who's still my best friend yep. and who was my bandmate since seventh grade. Right. And, um, our friend Eli, who was like a greaser punk guy that was sure. actually cool. Yeah. So you guys just basically formed your own pocket and were like, yo, this is it. It was pretty much just us. And then a couple other people that played in like other bands. Got it. Got yeah. it. And then I presume like you were, like you were mentioning with the, you know, enhanced CD and stuff like that, you, you probably viewed your sort of design knowledge and expertise as just by like default because the band needed like your help from that perspective. Or was it like, you're Um, like, I want to take it on myself. At first it was like, we need some kind of logo or graphic or CD cover or something. And I knew, you know, I'd drawn when I was a kid and knew a little bit of Photoshop. Sure. I was like, okay, I'll. Take a stab at it. Yeah. yeah. And so was it, was it one of those things that you, you, you obviously enjoyed that, I guess, experience of being able to like, you know, create this stuff and create, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to use the term visual aesthetic, but mm-hmm. it's not like your mind was really <laughs> operating on that level sure. from, from the earlier bands, but you immediately like took a liking to that. Yeah. yeah it was super fun. The idea of obviously like, you know, once, once you started to apply yourself at art school and stuff like that, did you enjoy the whole art school experience? Cause I know a lot of people have, have mixed feelings when they're spending a lot of money mm-hmm. to attend university. When sometimes people like yourself who have obviously had a lot of like practical real world experience, um, especially from like, you know, the whole DIY punk and hardcore nature mm-hmm. where it's like, you've done a lot of that stuff already. And then you go to school and you're like, done all this stuff or, you know, a lot of the stuff already. Um, or did you have that experience at all? Um, I'd have to really dig to, to, yeah. to think if, um, my like band experiences really did anything for me in, uh-huh. in college, but, um, I did really enjoy it. Right. Um, I thought it was a super worthwhile program and, um, a lot of people have misconception of what studying graphic design is. Right. Um, I'd say like 75% of people I talk to have absolutely no clue what that entailed. Sure. Um, but it was, a lot of kind of teaching you how to think critically okay. in a visual sense. Um, and it definitely just shaped my thought process in a lot of ways that okay. inform music making or business decisions and um, art. So it was, it, it was more, you, you would say that you learn more so from just the, the whatever editing and creative, like the, the process of it rather than the actual like technical skills. Yeah. There was, there was almost no technical classes. People think design school is a four-year Photoshop class. Right. I, I went right. into school knowing it. And yeah. that, that wasn't a requirement, but right. um, it was sort of like, 
okay, here's the problem at hand and you have this idea and you want to execute it a certain way, mm-hmm. learn the skills to execute it the way that's the most appropriate. Right. You know, if hand drawing this poster is going to, um, if that aesthetic is going to lend itself more to the concept, then hand draw it, right. learn how to draw. Right. Um, or if it's this crazy digital collage and you don't know Photoshop, figure it out. Right. Um, but it was more about the, like you said, the process. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's important that you mention that. Cause yeah, I definitely think a lot of people, yeah, don't understand that concept. And they're just like, why would I spend, you know, $240,000 well, how much ever it is to, you know, go to like Pasadena school design half, or whatever. Half that, but it could be that now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 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 It could be yeah. <laughs> in a few years from now. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of people just, just, yeah, they just think of it's like, well, well, I can just, you know, buy a few Photoshop books or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'll be able to like, I think some programs are like that. Yeah. And, um, some of the private schools that kind of fish more for students, oh, you know, the ones okay. that are really actively recruiting at high schools and stuff. Right. I think they tend to be a little bit more on that side. Sure. Um, whereas the ones that you really have to apply to, and it's a really tough selection process, like art center or Otis or Cal arts, those are more, um, I mean, more there's some re- technical training, but it's definitely a lot about the, um, the ideas and how you think. And, right, right, yeah. right. No, that's cool. Um, the methodology. Right. Yeah. Yes. The, yeah. the methodology. That's a, that's yeah. a good way of putting it. You had, you had finished obviously art school by the time Touche started to exist, right? Mm-hmm. I was in my third year when we started. Okay. Yeah. Was it one of those things where you, um, obviously your parents saw that you were practical in the way that you approached all of your band life and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I presume like doing all the band stuff that you were doing throughout high school, um, and even in college, like none of that was like threatening to them as far as they were like, Oh, I don't like Nick's going to, you know, make a mistake. Like Nick's going to do something stupid. I think they knew that my end goal was to study art and design and not just, yeah, be a bad dude. Right. Yeah. Not right off college and just try that. Right. right. I don't think they would have been too stoked on that. Right. Were they ever terrified at the stuff you were bringing home as far as like, Whoa, what is this weird, weird stuff that Nick's into from the musical perspective? Yeah. I don't know that much scared them, but uh-huh. um, I remember like early on um, my greaser punk friend, yep. um, like he was, you know, he'd be wearing like a t-shirt with a skull on it or something. And right. my mom just like thought like, that means he's a bad kid that does drugs. Like, of course, you know, like the character on the Simpsons, right. that's like the bully with a skull. Absolutely. And she thought very literally about that. So it was funny teaching her like, mom, like there's these people that are straight edge and they look like that, but they completely abstain from everything that you're talking about. Right. And they still look exactly the same. So you can't really judge, yeah, yeah. you know, some punk looking kid just saying he's bad. It's right. just like, that's his means of self-expression right. or what he's into. The book by its cover, mom, we can't, you yeah, can't it, paint it, with that brush. But yeah, she was, she did like, she wouldn't want me to have like a shirt with like a skull on it or like something like evil looking, which was obviously a conflict of interest, liking, you know, the nerve agents and AFI. Absolutely. So I'd have to find the shirts that were like mom. Okay. Really? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> was it, was there, was there any, uh, religious upbringing that you had as far as your parents were concerned? Um, my parents are Jewish, but we never really practiced, practiced much. We got it. get together for holidays and stuff. Sure. I've been a temple once in my life. Okay. It was not like a, yeah, that didn't come from a religious place. It was just sort of sure. Yeah, she no, had I, this idea in her head. Right. No, totally. Yeah, sometimes it's just anytime you hear those those misgivings, there's sometimes they're they're laced with yeah, yeah. you know religious coloring of like like you know I've, I've spoken to people in the podcast before where it's like they've had to sit down with their parents like with each record they bring home and like lyrically go through it. You know, oh, wow. and it's like. And I mean, th- those are usually stemming from very like, you know, Catholic or Christian households mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh yeah, you've got it. We like, we have a screening process. My parents didn't like the parental advisory stuff, yeah. but, um, 
But then again, one of the first records I really liked was the first Rage Against the Machine record that my brother got. But I remember uh, the end of Killing in the Name coming in and my parents being like, nope, you're not playing this for your kid, brother. They're like, we're going to tell that right now. Yeah. But so, then my dad did end up taking me to see Rage Against the Machine. So he was clearly cool. And so like, did he go with you to the show or yeah, did he yeah. just drop? Nice. He took me. That's awesome. So. Um, but so you, you didn't have like a bar mitzvah or anything like that? No, no, no I didn't go through that. No. You know, I mean, obviously like the, the, the history of Touche is well documented, so I'm not going to you know, belabor any of that. But mm-hmm. did you get your, the job that you have currently kind of like right out of, of art school or was it, you know, you had, you had kind of floated for a little bit before you landed there? I started there as an intern when I was... It was the summer after my second year in school. Oh, okay. So that was pre-touche. Got it. Yeah. And so, the, and then that transitioned right into the job that you currently have. Yeah, now. it was. It was at first. It was just a summer, and then I think I worked that following winter break, and then I would start doing one day a week when that I had free during school. And got it. Um, yeah, and then it was sort of understood I was going to work there full time when I finished. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you technically only had one job. Mm-hmm. I mean, one real job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, did you have jobs in high school and stuff like that as far as? I did. Um, my first job was a teacher's assistant for the kids' art place that I oh, went nice. to yeah, my yeah, whole yeah. life pretty much. Right. Because um, they're like, he's hanging around here so much, you might as well give him a Well, they, they were waiting until I could legally work. That's <laughs> amazing. Because I, I stopped doing those classes at 13 and you need to be 15 for a worker's permit. Right, And right. the owner would like call every summer like, are you 15 yet? <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and then I worked for um, this like old like health insurance agent oh, okay. in, uh, in Encino. like sure. in after school job for right. uh, for a couple of years. What, what was your first, for lack of a better term, like freelance art project where it was like, you know, you had to like a band approach you to like, mm-hmm. you know, do something that um, whatever it was, whether it was an album cover, t-shirt design, whatever, something um, from that perspective. In high school, I did stuff for friends, but I wouldn't really call them like freelance projects. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I made a, I made a stricken shirt when I was in high oh, school. Oh, you did? What yeah. stricken shirt? It, uh, it was like a zombie, it was like a zombie coming at a person that was kind of like on the floor. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, nice. That was, yeah, that was high school. Okay. Um, I'd say my first like real freelance project was mm-hmm. probably, um, the faceless's first record. Oh, I didn't know you did that one. Yeah, that's for me on the cover. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah. And that, that, that just became because like Michael knew you or something like, just- yeah. Um, can't remember how I met Michael, but he recorded my band in high school. He recorded our, our, uh, oh, full length. Got it. And yeah, then I ended up doing their first record. Cause we used to, they, the faceless used to play with my band in high school a bit. Ah. I think it was like just after high school. Right. 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 Yeah. That's awesome. Were you intimidated when you first took on that project or you're like, no, I'm ready to, I'm ready to handle this. There was a lot of second guessing. Uh-huh. I don't know if I'd use the word intimidated, but it was sort of like, is this good enough yet? Is this good enough yet? Uh huh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, you would, you would be pressing the edit button a lot in your own head where it's like, I like, I don't think this is ready yet. I don't think this is ready yet. Yeah. It was like tons of layers in Photoshop and just trying to find the right, uh, right, 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 right. Yeah, the right mix for it. And tell me if I'm wrong here, but you, you seem to me where it's like, you know, you're a very easygoing guy by nature as far as I, I would define you as mm-hmm. such. Um, but I presume that a lot of your sort of artistic labors are met with so many voices in your head of just like, just, just internal battles. Am mm-hmm. I correct in that? Or is it, is it, a, is it kind of a, this, this, I don't know, this process that goes on in your head or, a better way of saying it. Are you super critical of yourself? I stress myself out and I, make a lot of work that I don't end up showing just as part of the process Mm -hmm. and um, editing that and figuring out what's right for the job and what's right. You know, Oh, am I going to be bummed if they pick that 
um, and th- that kind of process kind of stresses me out too. Is yeah. this in the right direction? Are they going to respond to any of this? Is this wrong? Is it really right? Sometimes you get a sense of like, that's it. Right. But not all the time. Right. I definitely remember when I first started to pay attention to like artists, mm-hmm. especially in the, you know, whatever the independent music scene where it's like you first started to see so many layouts by, you know, Jake Bannon and, yeah. um, you know, the Clark brothers up in, in Seattle. Oh, yeah. and they stuff. were, they were huge inspirations. Were they? Me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, regurgitation going on mm-hmm. where it was like, not only, it, and I wouldn't put it at the fault of those artists because they were just, there was so much stuff that was being pitched at them. Where oh, it was, and I'm sure a lot of bands said, I want something that looks just like that. And they were having to fight make, to make it different. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I just, I, I, I distinctly remember this moment where it was like, I don't even know how or why, but it was like, I think I got, I got linked to like a back end on one of the, I, it was either the Clark brothers or so, I can't remember if it was, was them or somebody else. Um, but basically it was like, it had like seven versions of like oh. layouts, like, but it was kind of like prefab where it's like, you could kind of pick which one you wanted, you know? And so it's like, you could tell that they have so much work uh-huh. that they're creating layouts in advance and, wow. and showing was them it sort of like a rough idea of like what the typography could be, but like fill in your own song lyrics. Kind of. Yeah. Wow. And like, and like not, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm not using that to disparage them or the sure. work that they were doing, but it was just like, you could just tell it was like every band wanted to work with them. Mm-hmm. So it was like, they, you know, they probably just saw the, the opportunity where it was just like, well, shit, well, let's like, let's work ahead or something like that. That's crazy. I, I, could, I could never do that. Yeah. I was about to say that, that, that if, I presume that that would be something that you would never be able to even like wrap your head around to just like sit down, like, all right, Nick, like do 10 al- album. Like you could, you know, do two years worth of work in like two months. No, it, it it's not even uh I just, I feel like it's wrong because I, I put so much effort into like the ideation process and figuring out like what is the right thing for this band or for this record. Right. And, you know, from analyzing the uh, the album title and the lyrics and, you know, everything about the layout style and the way things are presented is very specific. I, I couldn't really, like, I might've had a cool idea that someone didn't go for that. I think, Oh, this could kind of be appropriate for this other band, of course. but I would never have like stock templates or something like that. That's yeah. just, that's so wrong to me. Yeah. I'm sure that like, they probably looked good, but totally, but, uh, totally. Th- that's just so crazy for me to wrap my head around. Yeah. 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 What were, what, so what were some of the, uh, you know, especially just like I said, from the sort of like independent music medium that you started to notice, like in taking, uh, taking inspiration from. So like you said, mm-hmm. it was the Clark brothers. Oh yeah. Um, they were like, I'm trying to remember, they had all these crazy, like kind of hyper real photo collages. That, um, I was always just amazed when they were asterisk. Yeah. Yeah. They, I would always just obsessively check their website and see what kind of new stuff was going on. Totally. Yeah. 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 Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high-yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Check the backseat. 
seat. Check the back seat. Right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Was there anybody else that that kind of like, you know, flipped your lid from back then? I don't think I was aware of much else other mm-hmm. than them before going to design school and learning about actual like design history. Right, right. Um, because that was like music packaging and doing stuff for bands was like why I wanted to do graphic design. Right. So that was definitely my gateway into it. But I didn't like know about much else. Right. Yeah. You weren't actively pursuing that knowledge. Yeah. Because how long have you been at your at smog, smog design? Yes, yeah, it's smog. Um, started interning in 2007. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I mean, you do projects from across the board from, you know, major label artists, obviously, you know, I mean, more smaller independent things. The one thing that I always find, I'm really thankful that I personally, even though I've got no design skills of my own, mm-hmm. I've worked alongside of people that help me have helped me understand the process much uh-huh. better. So like, I know what to bring to people such as yourself to be like, Hey, this is what like, this is helpful. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I'm thankful that I had that experience, but I know just from my own experience that like 95% of people don't have that, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't have that knowledge. <clears throat> so what's been some of the more difficult things, like not even so much from just like a client by client basis, but just like people that come to you where it's just like, Oh, Hey, like Nick, can you make this thing look like this thing? Can you make it do this or whatever? What are some of the more challenging <laughs> adjectives that get thrown in your direction? They're just like, Oh, I can't, um, I can't do that. Like, or this, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, make it edgy is a good, real good one, but that's definitely coming from the major label marketing. Of course. Team. Of course. Um, I haven't heard that one in a while, actually. Oh, that's good. That's um, good. It's been a while. Right. Um, but that used to be the bane of my existence. Like, what does that mean? Do you want me to make the photo grungy and distressed? Cause that doesn't fit for a pop artist. <laughs> Um, make it edgy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of any others. Or what, or, or what are some of the, uh, the challenges that you, you, you find in the creative process? Like when you are working with, you know, these, these high profile acts where mm-hmm. it's like, not only do you have the artist's eyeballs on it, but then you have the label, the management, mm-hmm. like there's like 17 people that are touching it yeah. who are all coming at it from a different visual mm-hmm. perspective. Um, usually it's the marketing people that are the tough ones. Really? Yeah, Absolutely. Just because they don't feel like they have enough like material to work with or something, or they just it's um to me it's one of these things where they're not as involved with i mean I'm sure they're involved with a lot of the creative process and different ideas, but um I think sometimes there's situations where there's a need for them to want to put their stamp on the project all right and if they don't have that, not that their job's at stake, but that, that's absolutely just, that's just something of what i I read into of of they could be like, oh, you know what I told them to pick comp seven instead of comp five. Like I'm still good. Right. Right. But my input is registered and noted in here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Credited as interfered with process, changed artists mind that led to the success of 5,000 more units. Right. Exactly. Which is so not true. It's absolutely not true. But yeah, but no, there definitely is something uh, people, I, I think people feel like if they defer on something, that's like, 
saying that they like have no opinion on it, but just, or it could just mean like, no, you simply like, or like, well, that, that looks like that looks good. Yeah. Like, and then why is there anything wrong with that? <laughs> Sure. Touche. I started to, you know, uh, you, you work so hard to establish the, you know, visual medium that is touche. And it's like, it's so inherently attached to one another where mm-hmm. it's like people can't separate, you know, your art with, with the band, obviously. Is it, is it one of those things where you are, um, I guess you're, you're, you're impressed that you've been able to kind of create this, this large medium just because you have put out a lot of releases, you have mm-hmm. put out a lot of things. Um, is it is it impressive, I guess, to you that you've been able to kind of create these same but completely different projects for each of these kind of things as they've they've grown, you know? Yeah, it's it's all just really fun. Um I I don't know, I enjoy kind of doing that sort of like more or less like brand direction. Yeah, I, I yeah, know that yeah. sounds cheesy for no, 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 my no. Own band, but um yeah, because you know, I'm involved in the music making and knowing what that should look like and how it should kind of carry on what we do. Right. Um, ways to break away from it just enough so that a release is different, but then still tying it back to us. And you sort of, when you kind of look like, or for me, when I look back at our releases, I sort of see patterns and then try to either very logically like break away from one or be like, oh no, that's actually a good, good, consistent theme we should keep carrying. Right, right. Do you, um, and because, I mean, in part of that, and then obviously like, you know, the, with the Deaf Heaven release, just like completely, would you say that that was the, that's the artwork that singly, single-handedly gets mentioned to you the most as mm-hmm. far as just across the board? people. One, because it's recent and right. two, because yeah. It's just so, you know, for lack of a better term, iconic with, with obviously that release. It just got everywhere really, really quickly and right. it was mentioned so much. Would. Yeah. I presume in certain respects it was surprising for you. I was definitely surprised at how much it was mentioned. Like I knew it was kind of controversial. Like um, it being the first paragraph of every press release was something I wasn't expecting. Right. (laughs) I know you, it it is weird because it was definitely like, it was like almost the music and the design was, was is it exactly as like what your process, like what you try to do where Mm -hmm. it's like, you obviously match them together and kind of mesh them into one sort of thing. Yeah. The one thing, I mean, there's tons of critique of that band and that cover in general, but one thing no one says is that the cover doesn't look right. <laughs> That's the one thing that you haven't heard. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so I, I'm sure because of that, you've received, because of that, and obviously your work with Touche, I'm sure you've received kind of a, you know, for lack of a better term, like an influx of, of people hitting you up to want, wanting to do design work and stuff mm-hmm. like that because you have a full-time job and you don't need to do <laughs> like projects on the side, so yeah. to speak. Is it one of those things where you, you just have the absolute luxury of just being like, yes, I'll do that for you. Yes, I'll do that for you. And you just basically pick the projects that you want to work on. Yeah, it's it's sort of tough for me because I see everything as a cool opportunity to make something that right. looks great. Right. Um, so I tend to take on more work than I should. Mm-hmm. Um, I burnt myself out pretty bad last year doing touring full time, right. working almost full time from the road and doing freelance projects. Right. But that was just myself not being able to like censor my workload right um but i'm i'm definitely being more selective now would you uh, what did you learn from that as far as just like were like did you feel like you were not able to enjoy like you know when you're on the road and you're working Mm -hmm. like did you find yourself just being like i'm like not i'm not enjoying anything or i'm enjoying like parts of this like no i i still feel like i was able to enjoy quite a bit there Mm -hmm. weren't a lot of situations where i had to be like ah i'm gonna hang back and you know there's so much downtime on tour there's a lot Right. Um, there's a lot of you know places you can work. I just think the stress level of, for example, being at South by Southwest and the 
you know, promoter needing an ad mat change where one person's head needs to be 60% larger than the others. And I'm grabbing Alex Merchant's Wi-Fi pack and finding a curb in an alley in Austin to make and upload this change. Like that's the, right. that's the stress level that was kind of like, I don't know if I can right. keep that's, that's doing the pinnacle that of full all. time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like, this is, this is, this is not worth that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because it's like you're, you're people don't realize how much graphic people are leaned on so heavily mm. when it comes to like, especially when you, you know, you, you're obviously spending a lot of time with your band and you're spending a lot of time, you know, creating the actual music behind it. But then also like all of the small assets that get created for tours and stuff. And you're mm -hmm. just like, Hey Nick, can you change this? Hey Nick, can you change this? Yeah. Referencing an earlier question in regards to like, you know, difficult projects and working with people that have no kind of context for how to deliver design critiques or, or, mm -hmm. or, uh, input. I'm sure you have strategies that kind of like are able to subvert that or are able to like be able to get that information out of a person mm. like, you know, what, <clears throat> what, what sort of things do you do in order to sort of try to coax that sort of, uh, information that you yeah. need out of them? Um, sometimes I, I wouldn't say my all the time process, but kind of my preferred process. If I've, I'm starting a project from the ground up right. is kind of getting a mood board together. Okay. And that, that would be me just pulling reference. I'm not really doing any design work yet per mm -hmm. se. It's more of just like a brainstorming process and like organizing thoughts of like, Hey guys, here's, you know, your record and your album title. And this is what I think it sounds like. And here's a reference of like styles of photography I think could be appropriate. And these types of logos and, you know, this way of treating images or whatever. Right. And that'll usually get a response, but that also assumes that the person can look at things visually and like separate, like I can see how you could make something that looks like all of these things. Right. Um, but I haven't had too much problem with someone not being able to see like the full vision. Sure, sure. But sometimes I'm in the middle of that process and I get on a roll and think like, oh, I've actually got a really good idea I'm just going to make. And um, maybe I'll show a combination or something like that. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm sort of, you know, laboring on your, your design process is the fact that I think you're, the way that you work is, in, in my opinion, unique from that perspective. I know artists obviously each have their own mm -hmm. way that they work on stuff, but because you, you work on, especially from like a freelance perspective, you work on, like I said, the only the projects that you really like can feel to explain it better. You remind me of like a producer mm. where it's like, you are, you're the sort of person where it's like, you would like, like if the band is recording their record and they already know that they want you to work on mm -hmm. the record, like you would be the type of guy that would be there at the studio. Like, yeah, absolutely. I would love that. Right. right. And I, I think, and in the major label world, I'm often not able to even hear music when we're working on the artwork right? because the deadlines are so tight right? and there's a little bit of secrecy about it. Right. Of course. Yeah. yeah they're like, we can't, we, we can't let you lowly minions listen to this new. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Do you notice that that like your, I guess your process for lack of a better term, like is, is kind of, um, is very invested. Like, is, yeah. It's unique it in a way. I think, I think that's the way it should be. Okay. Um, I really do. I think you need to immerse yourself in what you're, becoming a part of and what you're building. Right. Um, I think it's super important, but I, some people don't want to do that. Some people aren't able to, there's right. a, there's, you know, it's all over the board. That's just, that's my ideal situation. Right. Right. But then most of the time someone says, Hey, like we have this photo shoot, like, can you make some album covers? Right. It's like, I can, I right. wish you would hit me up three months ago and we could have really done this thing. Right. Right. Um, but we could have done this thing in, in my ideal sense of the term. Yeah. Something else that I, I would I would be remiss if I didn't mention, like, because I I think the last time that uh, we we hung out or we well we we I, I gave you a compliment 
in regards to the way that you dress. You were very, you were a very stylish gentleman as far as I, uh, thank you. I, you're welcome. And I think it's, uh, have you always like, have you always kind of been that way in the, in regards to, or is that something that's just been kind of, that, that's something that you've, you've more focused on the past, you know, since college or the past couple of years, it's a little more adult life. Okay. I look back at things I wore in college. And I'm like, wow. Well, what'd you yeah. look like in college? For the most part, I had super long hair. Okay. Um, at one point I had a six inch beard. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's why you don't remember me. Actually, actually I, 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 that's probably true. Like yeah. <laughs> one of those things where it's like, Oh, that's, that's Nick. That's what, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just didn't know how clothes fit or how they should yeah. go together. You definitely, yeah. You definitely yeah. don't recognize that until you become an adult and you realize like, yeah, yeah. like, Oh, I don't need to wear extra large t-shirts like yeah. all the time. It's yeah. Just, you know, yeah. Yeah. Getting older, figuring course, things out. Totally. Um, yeah. but cause I, I think, I mean, the reason that I mention it in regards to, uh, you know, this interview and then just you as a person and the, the way that you uh, present yourself to the world, cause obviously like that's not, that's not important in like the punk and hardcore scene, like no. as far as like visually presenting yourself uh-huh. um, to a certain, well, it is though. Well, but it's just not, it's not it, like looking, looking a certain way or looking yes. good is important because yes. you're following trends based on your friends and your social group and the kind of, you know, you worry about like what t-shirt you're going to wear to the, a specific kind of show. Absolutely. I can't wear a Sea Haven shirt because they played here last night and other people are going to be wearing that shirt. So I'm going to dig into finding my more credible shirt that isn't going to cross over with someone else at the show. Absolutely. There's definitely a process. Of there that. definitely is a process. Yeah. yeah there, there, I guess there's a, there's an intention, mm-hmm. um, but the, uh, it may not be fashionably informed. It's more by the, the group you're going to hang with. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's why I, I respect what you do from that perspective, because it's like what you are presenting up there, it, it like can be influencing for people who, I mean, who look at that and are just like, Oh, I don't typically identify with the sort of, you know, whatever black jeans, black t-shirt, like, mm-hmm. you know, even though 99% of the kids that attend shows like sure. will identify with that, yeah. the, the choices that you make of just like, Oh, who like, that's Nick. Like he looks kind of weird. Like, you know, there's that, there's that place, right. There's that immediate sort of like uh, lack of a better term, like disconnect. Have, have people recognized that in you? Like if people mention it to it, like, Oh dude, you look, you look, you look sharp. You look spiffy. Or like, is that, is that a conversation that goes on? Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's, and there's the scrutiny. Okay. It. Um, but I've I've sort of like developed this funny like rule of threes in my head, which I think is applicable. Okay. So um, I remember I don't know maybe two years ago or something I saw a leather jacket I really liked. Yeah. Um, leather jacket's always been something kind of difficult to pull off. Like I'll try one on, and be like ah, like I look like I'm trying to look too punk. Sure. Or <laughs> if it's like a zip down the middle, like I just look like a dad instantly. <laughs> um, so finding the right balance was tough. Right. And when I got it, I'm immediately just thinking, what is all the shit that my band is going to give me as soon as I walk into the practices? Because it looks like you're like, oh, leather jacket guy. Like right. there's honest, like doing anything that's out of your norm, mm-hmm. um, someone's going to comment on. Absolutely. Um, like if you grabbed one of my floral button-ups right now and then went wherever you're going after this, I'm sure someone would make a comment. Yeah, be like, oh, what's, what do you got going on there? Right. But here's Absolutely. where the rule of threes come in. Okay. Is you do that the second time, someone else is going to comment. You do it the third time, someone's like, oh, that's just Ray. He wears floral button-ups from Nick's closet. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So, so the rule of threes also applies to three things outside of your norm. Okay. Um, you know, if I start wearing dress shoes, let's say, right. you're like, ah, oh, nice shoes, oh, nice shoe guy, blah, blah, blah. Third time, doesn't happen. Right. Um, yeah, then you go to, uh, I guess what I'd call my most recent endeavor, which is the pocket square. Okay, yeah. Um, oh. And people are going to comment on it. Yep. But then 
after the third thing you do. So right. I guess that's technically like nine. Sure. Then it's just like, oh, that's Nick. He just does stuff that we don't really know or identify about. But I'm not even going to – it's not even worth commenting on because that's just a thing he does. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's, so it, it sounds like the most of the uh, it, it was never a concern, obviously, about how the audience would perceive you. It's just like I got to go through this initial stuff of like all my friends making all these comments, and then like and then it wasn't get- it wasn't like I think that analysis happened afterwards. Sure, but that was it wasn't like a concern of mine. It was just like the first time being like, oh, like I just don't want, I just want people to comment. Right. I just want to like exist the way I want to exist. And I wasn't like trying right. to like yeah. elicit a response or be like, I'm going to break out of my shell and start wearing all this weird stuff. It was just right. yeah, things I liked. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So something you were like, I, I think I can do this now. Yeah. But that was, that was like my way of getting through it was like, all right, it's going to end soon. Right. If I just, if I just keep doing it and don't retreat. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think something about that too, there, there breeds a, for lack of a better term, like, you know, an air of confidence in a way where it's like, I mean, you, you strike me as a person who, uh, I, I wouldn't say has an ego, but it, but it, you seem generally confident in yourself or, yeah, or more or less. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think there's any insecurities in, in what it is that you're doing besides like the internal conversations you have as far as the, the art is concerned? Um, where are we, are we on the art sense or the dressing just, just sense? Or just in general, just, just in the, in your own, um, uh, existence for lack of a better term. I guess I would say I'm, I'm relatively confident. Yeah. I get, I get in my head a bit like, like mm-hmm. everybody does. Um, I overanalyze things a lot. I get anxious, but right. for the most part I exist pretty mellow. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, cause it, it, before you telling me that you had a brother, like you, you, I think I identify with you. I mean, I don't have, I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. And so like you, you strike me and I think there's something I've always been pegged with where it's like only children, like have this sort of like, you know, this sense of self where it's like, mm-hmm. because I've had, I haven't had anybody to like, you know, bounce stuff off of because uh-huh. I'm an only child, but you, you strike me as, as a person that I guess navigated through your life, you know, with influences, but, you know, generally speaking where it's like, well, this is kind of a path that I'm going to go on, you know, and like, regardless of like what other people are kind of saying, like, I'm mm-hmm. going to kind of do it to a certain extent. Sure. Um, would you, would you say that's a, a fair classification? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, guess I'd say yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I didn't have the older brother that was showing me everything as, as time went on and being my older brother, we just had Right. Totally different lives. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And it, you said only only recently you guys kind of came around to be like, oh, like, hey, we're cool with one another. When I was in when I was in high school, we started becoming cool because we had a little bit closer interests. Right. Yeah. Now that obviously, you know, touche is is a whatever, a quantifiable commodity. You know, you guys are you guys are out there and you for all definition of the term, you're successful. What are your um are your parents do you think your parents are more proud of, of the band life that you've created or the art life that you've created? I don't know if I could separate it. Sure. They're proud. For right. Sure. They like coming to the shows and they also like getting copies of like records I've designed. Right. Right. Um, you know, parents just like bragging. They do. General. Right. Yeah. They like having something to tell like the lady at the nail shop about. Right. Right. That, oh, my son just went on tour. Yeah. That they, sort of they stuff. They like that stuff. Touring life also uh, like that still appeals to you to a certain extent mm-hmm. or that. Um, because I mean, it is, like you said, there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of, um, uh, for lack of a better term, like it can get cumbersome after a while, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's, you know, why you guys are obviously taking a, a break from the road. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, so do you feel like, do you feel that affects like your creativity at all in, in certain respects as far as like being kind of, cause I mean, tour is just the whole different, like you're not connected to the real world at all. Mm-mm. Wait, sorry. Do, does being on tour affect my creativity? Yeah. That that's, um, yeah, I'm obviously able to get a bit more done 
easier here. Mm -hmm. But I think the time constraint on the road of I need to get this done in the next half hour before the gas break or, um, you know, before sound check or whatever, I think it, that makes me make decisions quicker and just be like, this is good enough. I'm going to send it rather than really overthinking it for working on it for four or five hours. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, I guess that's true. Yeah. You, (laughs) you do have the, uh, the constraints of those, those schedule breaks to where it's just like, Oh yeah, I can't, I haven't done anything yet that I'm think suffered from it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think if I had kept going, like if we had had another six months of touring, um, I would have exploded. Right. (laughs) Like this isn't it. This is, um, and so, so kind of looking forward the, um, what are, you know, like what are one or two bands that you would be like, I would just love to do something for them. You know I mean? Like in a sort of dreamscape sense of like, Mm -hmm. what, what would be something that you would love to wrap your head around from that perspective? I've been asked this before and the, they still stand because I haven't worked for them yet. That's fine. Um, Chelsea Wolf and Kylie Minogue. Okay. I mean, I can understand Chelsea Wolf, Kylie Minogue. Why? Massive fan. Okay. Yeah. Um, I love pop music, but I love Kylie and she's always had a really sophisticated aesthetic, especially in that whole world. Absolutely. Um, her packaging is fantastic mm-hmm. and her records are always really good. Right. Um, so that'd be a fun one. Cause you obviously make no bones about the fact that you like pop music. Um, are people, I mean, obviously it's less of a, less of a faux pas these days to like that sort of, you know, it totally was when I was getting into it. Though. Right. No, I know I that, would get so much shit for wearing a lady Gaga shirt when we played shows. It would like, be, I mean, you're saying in the early touche days, like, yeah, I like people, people would give me shit all the time. And now that's like a cool thing to do is wear oh, a Taylor totally. Swift shirt while you're playing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's because you can, um, yeah, because that, that's just become more, uh, I guess, culturally accepted, especially yeah. in independent music where it's like, oh yeah, you can like these things. You didn't used to be able to. No, no. Yeah. It, it, tell me about that. Like, I mean, it, cause I do think that's an important point and we can obviously end on this one mm-hmm. where, um, the, the stones that can be thrown from that perspective from like, oh, you can't, you can't like this style of music because of, you know, lacks artistic credibility well, usually, or whatever. Well, usually you get thrown the homophobic slurs of liking pop music and being in a punk or hardcore band. Right, right, um, right, right. Yeah, there's there's that whole side of it, that side of insecurity of like, I can be comfortable with myself and um, I'm using my first foray into it, which was Justin Timberlake. Right. Like I was the guy with the long hair and the six inch beard dancing my ass off like you know, 10 people back from the front of the stage. Right. Future Sex Love Sounds tour. Right. Um, that was when I realized I liked pop music and that I wasn't, you know, didn't have to be ashamed of liking something that was mainstream or on the radio or dancey or poppy or whatever. Right. You didn't have to, you didn't have to feel that, um, that for lack of a better term, like the punk rock guilt of like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't like this because it's not, it doesn't I have fit to this hide mold. this. It's the guilty pleasure thing, right. which I've always stood by that. I don't have guilty pleasures that I can open really openly talk about. Yeah. Well, I, like. I mean, I think that's such a, that's such a lame descriptor. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, I think because I, I think you can say that when you're 14 years old. Well, my guilty pleasure is this, like you know, yeah. because you, you're you're black and you you have no identity at that. And you're time. so much more concerned with what people think about you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then, like, when you become a grown ass person, like you don't need that. <laughs> who's no. who's who's gonna judge you? Yeah. And even if they are, it's like fuck off, man. This is my taste. <laughs> I mean, the only judgment that I could see being placed upon a person's music they listen to is like, oh, you're listening to you know white power hate music. Then you'd be like. That's a judgment call. Like, yeah, yeah. And I'm be, really into the message. <laughs> that'd be something I'm concerned about. Yeah, but yeah. Well, thank you, Nick. This has Absolutely. been quite a fun jaunt. Nor- normally, these are a little more structured, but with this this felt this felt great. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> there was Nick. There was his life. 
there is his inspiration for being a creative individual. Just a nice guy, right? He's one of those people where you meet him and you're just like, I get you, man. Like, you're a good guy. Like, you're doing doing, doing good things. You're contributing. You're making the world a better place. And that's just, the, that's the bare minimum that any of us can do on this planet is make it better for the people that are living after us. So anyways, the producer, as always, is Tom Richfield, just continually killing it week by week making sure that these shows sound as good as they do. He even bought me a microphone for, I think, Christmas? Yeah, we'll call it Christmas. And, uh, yeah, that's just, it's, it's sweet. It makes my heart swell, and I, I, I love him so much. And visit the show, 100wordspodcast.com, and oh, I'm just eternally grateful. Just, just pouring love and appreciation to you, the listener, pouring it all over you. So, anyways, until next week, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Hi, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff.